the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, The Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls or answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, really whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we've got a lot going on here tonight uh, at uh, Calvary Chapel. Pastor Ken will be starting in the Gospel of John. I think he's going to do the first four verses in chapter one. So he gets started on that tonight. That's at seven o'clock. You can watch that at calvarysa.com. Um, um, that's um, seven o'clock. I think I said that. Um, Sunday, of course, we've got our three services lot going on. Uh, just sort of a scheduling heads up for you. Paula and I will be gone next week. Pastor Ken will be doing the show here. Uh, so call in and give him some really tough questions. I keep telling you he's really smart. So really challenge him on your questions. Uh, that will be next week. So lots going on. Um, as you go to church this Sunday, um, Find opportunities. The Lord has divine appointments for you. Find opportunities to be able to do that. Okay, let's get to some questions. And uh, I think we've got a caller on the line. We've got Abel on line one from San Antonio. Abel, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Uh, yes, I have a couple of questions. One of them is, in uh, well, they're from uh, John, the third chapter, when uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus and asked him about, uh, was he the Christ? And the first thing that Jesus asked him is, you have to be born again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and was baptism pretty popular in the Old Testament, or is it something new that was arising in the New Testament? Okay, so your question about being born again is, what is it? Well, no, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and and his question, and and Jesus, the first thing they told him was, you have to be born again. Yes. And be baptized. Was baptism popular in the Old Testament? Was it new for Nicodemus? 
Okay, yeah, I understand the question now, Abel. Thank you. Um, baptism in in a Jewish construct, and I think one of the problems that we have uh, with understanding the the uh, New Testament, Jesus' ministry in particular, but even the initial chapters of the book of Acts, uh, where the church was entirely Jewish, is that Jews understood baptism as being uh, a baptism of repentance in other words, it was a baptism of preparation. The kingdom of God was near. That was John the Baptist's message. Uh, repent. In other words, get ready for the Christ that we're waiting for. And so the baptism was a baptism of repentance. You'll remember, Abel, that Nicodemus um, would have known, of course, that Jesus was one of those people uh, that was baptized. And, of course, Jesus had no sin, so he didn't need to get baptized uh, for repentance because he hadn't sinned ever. Uh, but but he was identifying with us. That's why he told John when John said, um, um, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, you're right, but let's do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. So that's what he meant there. The baptism of repentance is um, the same thing that we would say culturally here as, um, you know, when you give your heart to Jesus Christ, your response then needs to be repentance, turning from the direction you were going or the life that you were living and turning your life over to Jesus and following him. And that's what it means to be born again as well. And I know you understand this, but, um, you know, Nicodemus didn't ask about being born again. Jesus just told him, this is what you need to do. And um, um, Jesus didn't tell him to be baptized. He just said, except a man be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and Nicodemus asked the question, he said, well, how does a man go into his mother's womb a second time? And the answer was, uh, Jesus said, you of all people. Now, remember, Nicodemus was Israel's teacher, the preeminent teacher in Israel. There's a definite article there. And he's saying, you, Nicodemus, of all people should know this. And he repeats himself, except a man be born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the salvation um, pendulum right there. It's, it's you're saved by, by coming to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, and then being born again, which is to live a completely new life. Uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what he meant with Nicodemus. One of the reasons Nicodemus um, was so confused. Now, we know that Nicodemus became a believer, but for most of the three-plus years of Jesus' ministry, uh, he was a, a secret disciple. We don't know how long in those three years the conversion was made, but clearly God was working on him. And uh, Jesus um, just hit him right between the eyes. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever believed, uh, all the good that you think you've done, how much success you've had, all of that means nothing. You have to start over. And that's what he said, unless a man is born of water and the spirit. Those are the two births. The water is the natural birth and the spirit is the second birth um, when we're born again. And that's what he was telling Nicodemus. So uh, the baptism uh, really didn't, Nicodemus didn't really have to deal with that. Uh, but in the, in the early church, Peter would say, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. It wasn't that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. What he was saying is that repent and prepare for this new life. Thank you for the question, Abel. Appreciate it very, very much. Did you have another question, Abel? Are you still on the line? Yes, yes. Was this new to Nicodemus since he studied the Old Testament and didn't know about it in the Old Testament? Yeah, he, it, was, it was so new that he was shocked by the statement, Abel. And um, uh, that's why Jesus sort of, I think, was kidding with him a little bit in a, in a very serious way. Uh, you of all people should know this. And he was challenging Nicodemus, take a look at the scriptures that you think you know so well. And of course, Nicodemus would have all of the Old Testament scriptures and all of the talk from Ezekiel about, I'll take your stony heart and make it a heart of flesh. In other words, I'll soften the hearts of the people. And uh, and it was completely new because Jews then and, and even now, Abel, they don't... Um, um, 
they, they never viewed uh, the law that way. They, they believed, as Nicodemus did, that they were saved, what we would call saved. They were God's people by virtue of having the law. And Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus let him know that you think that the law saves you, but it's a law that condemns you. And Jesus even took it one step farther. He said, here's the letter of the law. You've got to keep it. But I'm going to raise the stakes a little bit. You have to also keep the spirit of the law. That's what Jesus would say to them. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was giving them the standard of perfection. And Abel, one of the scariest verses in all of the New Testament is the end of chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus basically sums up the message, you want to get to heaven without believing in me? Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And, and this would have been a radical concept, an absolutely radical concept for a Jew, especially one of Nicodemus's calendar. Now, let me also say one other thing about Nicodemus, because I think this is... For, for us as humans, the most important part of it. The, the battle Nicodemus would have had to go through right then is the same battle, Abel, that I'm sure you went through, the same battle that I went through. When I heard about Jesus for the very first time, all I could think about was how could I have been so wrong all this time? Have I, I was almost 40 years old. I was just a couple of months short of my 40th birthday. And I thought, I've wasted my whole life? How could I have been so wrong? Nicodemus, with all of the trappings of success, Nicodemus would have thought, how could I have missed it? Now, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, uh, Abel, but um, The Chosen, there's a lot of good parts in it. There's some, some stuff that I didn't really like, but I think overall it's pretty good. But, but they did Nicodemus so well. And uh, the, the struggle that they portrayed Nicodemus letting go of all of the success he had, letting go of all of the, the admiration of the people. I mean, he was an important person. His wife was driven by his success. And they demonstrated that so well in The Chosen. And you could actually feel the angst in uh, uh, in Nicodemus as he was trying to make a decision. I know it's true, but I'm going to lose all this stuff. And that was just the human condition. So great questions, Abel. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Greg from Bulverde on line two. Hi, Greg. Thanks for calling. Hey, two days in a row. It's, uh, I should go buy a lottery ticket. Hey, it's, it's, it's my day. Good day for me. <laughs> Wait, this is, a, this is a question I'm sure you can answer with half your brain tied behind your back. But it, it's from uh, Colossians, and I think the uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses use this to discount or disprove the deity of Christ. But uh, in uh, Colossians 1.15, starts off with, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What's, what I, I, I used to know this, and I forgot it. Where where's the best place and what's the best scripture is to describe the deity of Christ to counteract what they use here to say see he was in, he was created Jesus was created he wasn't God. Yeah, Greg, the to to miss the point of Colossians one, uh, you have to really want to miss it. And and the people that say, oh, this just proves that he was a created being, uh, they don't understand. The firstborn is not the typical word. We would say, uh, if you have um, um, uh, three sons. Um, you, you have a firstborn, a secondborn, and a thirdborn. Uh, this is a word, prototokos, and it is a word that means preeminent or priority. In other words, the firstborn of all creation, David, as you know, is called the firstborn of Jesse, and he was the youngest of Jesse's sons. But in the, in the sense of the the preeminence or the 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 importance um he was the firstborn and that's all that means for Jesus now one of the things that we're doing here in in colossians is Jesus is proving uh the the superiority of of 
uh, I mean, uh, Paul is proving the superiority of Jesus Christ over anything and everything else. Um, he was um, uh, more important than Abraham, more important. Uh, Hebrews uh, also uh, identifies as more important than angels, more important than Moses, all of the things that Jews really and truly um, adored and worshipped. Uh, and so um, Paul is simply establishing the preeminence of Jesus all over all of those other things. And so when you get down to uh, verse 15, I think he said, uh, when he's talking about being the firstborn, this is Jesus, the absolute priority and superiority of Jesus over anything and everything else. And that's what that value is. I'm currently in on Friday nights. Now, Pastor Ken and I are are um, um, alternating Friday nights. I'm doing two, then he's doing two. And we've just started, Greg, on um, in the book of Colossians on Sunday nights. And so uh, for, for me personally, Friday or Friday nights, I'm sorry, I said Sunday nights, um, um, the, 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 uh, this wonderful, wonderful book um, for the for the rest of the audience. Uh, um, when when Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, you know, um, God is spirit. We know that Jesus said that, um, but that he's invisible doesn't mean that we can't know who he is. All we had to do was look at Jesus. And the image of the invisible God, the way I like to look at this, is that if if the Father had a mirror and we were standing behind him and we could see the reflection in that mirror, the reflection would be Jesus. We'd see him. And that's how we can know God. In fact, it's the only way that we can know the Lord. Um, uh, Paul used the same phrase in Hebrews um, when he says he's the exact image, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And then when he says the firstborn overall creation, again, this is um, a, a passage of scripture that's opened up all kinds of heresies over the centuries. Um, but we know what Paul is trying to say. Um, he is preeminent, superior, um, absolutely first in terms of priority and importance and importance and because it's not a new concept in scripture um, we can appeal to the example I gave you of of uh, David we also know that Joseph had two sons named Manasseh and Ephraim uh, Manasseh was born first and yet when Jacob blessed them both he put his hand on Ephraim and blessed him instead um, in Jeremiah God said, I'm the father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So this is just God's way of saying that Jesus is the preeminent one in all of the universe and superior, uh, preeminent and superior uh, in all things. So thank you, Greg. Appreciate it very, very much. Good to hear from you a couple days in a row. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, I forgot to say something at the top of the program, so before I deal with this next question, let me say this. We've had some calls from people in the audience uh, who who are, want to serve at Joy of Jesus and want to buy the T-shirts, and um, um, certainly you can do that. We We would love to have help. We have no agenda at Joy of Jesus. We're not... We're not promoting our church. We're not promoting uh, anybody else's agenda. But if you want to come out and serve, we had some people call today, can we buy T-shirts? Um, we, we need you to get T-shirts so we can know who's serving and who's not. You can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and there's the ability to order. And you have to do that quickly because we're running against a deadline in order to get the churches the shirts done. And we'll have, I don't know, 600 or more of our people out there serving, wearing those T-shirts. So it's important that we can identify the the, the, the people serving from the people being served. Uh, and so you can do that, and we'd love to have you. And just by way of people wanting to know what they can do, uh, if you are a licensed barber, beautician, we could certainly use you. Makeup uh, artists, we're doing makeovers, especially all of the hands-on ministries where we're physically touching people. They are so fruitful, and without exception, every year, 
people get saved. So you can serve uh, in that capacity. Um, the, the only thing that I would say you, you can't do, we have our whole medical staff is out there. And while people come out and, well, I'm a doctor, can I help? Um, Because we don't know yet and because there's so um, much exposure when you're dealing with people physically, uh, medically, um, you know, we'd ask you to find something else. Now, one other comment about Drew of Jesus. We have a very, very, very secure children's ministry area where you can drop the kids. They'll be safe. We have security inside. We've got bathrooms or porta-potties inside, so they don't have to come out, and they'll have a blast all day, and uh, uh, they will be well You can drop your kids off and serve as long as you want to serve. So uh, thank you for the calls, and I appreciate it. Here is a question from Mike. He said, Pastor Ron, do you have any tips on praying together as a couple before and after marriage? Um, Mike, yeah, I think as a couple, uh, praying, um, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the two best things you can do to knit your hearts together in, in the power of God's Spirit. The other, of course, is reading the Word together. But but I just think it's it's something that you have to discipline yourself to do. Um, you don't always feel like it, but you shouldn't leave in the morning without an opportunity to pray with one another, uh, be in the Word together. Uh, you need to be disciplined and schedule the time. Uh, but praying together is something that you ought to do. Now, again, I'm a huge fan of praying early. Um, you know, I get home at night, I'm tired and, um, it just doesn't work out very well for me. Um, but, but in the morning, um, we seek the Lord morning by morning. Uh, Jesus said in Isaiah chapter 50, uh, he awakens me to give me the ear of the instructed or the learned. And so, uh, since he's, he's outside of time and space, he knows what the day holds for you. If you give him the chance Uh, Mike, he will prepare you for those things. So let me give you just a couple of tips. One, don't make the prayers obsessively long. Don't get caught in just repetition. Um, Just pray what's on your heart. Now, when Paul and I pray, we pray uh, for a lot of the same things every day. Um, uh, You know, our needs don't change. Um, um, so, so we're, we're like the persistent widow. We're bringing those prayer requests before the Lord. But there are times when uh, I'll have something else to pray about. Paula will have something else to pray about. So I want to, one, pray for her. I want to pray together with her. And I want to give her the opportunity uh, to pray as well. And, and I believe that really knits our hearts together. Um, I, I don't know really what you're saying before and after marriage. I don't know that it really makes a difference um you know if you're a committed couple you ought to be praying together if if it's before marriage one of the things mike that you want to pray for is the ability to resist temptation you want to want to want to walk in purity before the lord you don't want to mess up the relationship before it gets started but praying for your your wife to be uh women praying for your husband to be uh, I think is important because it establishes um, a practice. It establishes a habit, and it's something that you ought to be involved with. Um, not every day. When I say every day, I mean that generally speaking. But it ought to be way, way, way more often than not. There are times when we got to get up really early, and times when we've got appointments and things like that. And so we're always praying. Um, constantly, Paul says to pray without ceasing in, in his letter to the Thessalonians. Um, so, so we're always praying, but but praying together um, needs not to be just an afterthought. It needs to be something that we do. One other thing, Mike, as the leader in your home, you should be the one who initiates it. To my shame, I will say that uh, Paul and I pray together, uh, and she was the one who initiated this over the years. You know, I'm a I'm, my brain works differently than most people, and I get up. Uh, first thing in the morning, and my brain goes into overdrive. And I got all the things that I need to do before me, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm constantly praying before the Lord. Uh, and there were times when Paula would say to me, well, well, why don't you pray with me? 
And then you have to have that embarrassed look on your face. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then you do it. But, but, you know, now it actually feels like we're really missing out on something if we don't pray. But if it's before marriage, then remember to put in that, Lord, we want to honor you living holy lives. We want our purity to be our sacrifice to you until the day that we are married. So do that after marriage. Just pray whatever is on your heart. Remember, don't make them terribly long. Um, Say what you mean. Try to avoid using Christianese language. Just talk to the Lord together. Now, Paul and I, we prefer praying as we walk. So we'll go out and walk around our neighborhood a few times and and, and pray. Uh, but like today, uh, we didn't have that time, so uh, we prayed inside. We it just it's a matter she was reading to me, and then we prayed. So I would connect the reading and the praying together. I think it's really important. So Mike, that's the tips. Just do it. It's a discipline and. Uh, being disciplined for a Christian, of course, is a good thing. Well, we're coming up against the end of the first half hour of our final program this week. 340-9585 for your calls at area code 210 and toll free 877-630-KSLR or 630-5757. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our friday show 340-9585 hey i just got a a correction and update on our t-shirt availability for joy of jesus sunday is the cutoff date So we need to order those T-shirts for Joy of Jesus by Sunday. uh, And then I think on Monday morning, they won't accept our orders any longer. So we've still got some time for those T-shirts. And let me repeat, it it is an important thing. We we don't ever try. The the shirts are less than seven bucks. Uh, We never sell anything. So we're, we're not trying to sell. It's just for identification purposes, this is really important. I'm actually going to take a, a few minutes um, uh, Sunday and and deal with a few things, Joy of Jesus related, um, um, in, our Sunday, in our Sunday morning time together. So um, we would love your participation and your prayers. Uh, and if you get out there and you've got a blue shirt on, we'll, we'll find a way to use you, something that you can do. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a I have a question and a comment. My question is from Wednesday night when Aaron was performing the ceremonial cleansing for these lepers. Did they get healed? Some of them get healed, and maybe some of them didn't did not. You know, for whatever reason, God is holy, and His decisions are holy. And the other thing is. How incredible that must have been for Aaron to see these guys get healed and and to know that he was used from God because there are times when we do something and and God uses us and it turns out to be something really spectacular, that that rush of joy that you get in your heart, you know, not taking the credit because the credit goes to the Lord, but to know that he used you for it and, and, you know, what, what a cool thing that is. And I was just thinking about how amazing that must have been for Aaron and, and the priests to, you know, to go through that, that feeling of joy that, that God was using them. And so that was my question about whether they always got healed or not, and just my comment. And I will get off the phone and listen to the radio. And you did a great job on, on that, that horrific chapter. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. I, 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 evidently, I didn't do too good a job, because one of the things that I thought was, was the most uh, important to glean out of that chapter was that nobody ever got healed. 
No Jew ever got healed from leprosy. Um, Aaron chapter chapter uh, fourteen in Leviticus, uh, I, I began the Bible study by saying, uh, imagine having a chapter in the Bible that nobody ever read, or that there was all these instructions that you never got to implement or you never got to use, and the reason is because there was no Jew ever healed. Of leprosy. Leprosy is an incurable disease, just like sin it represents in the Bible. It's an incurable disease, and the only people that ever got healed from leprosy, uh, Jesus said only uh, Naaman the Syrian, and he was a Gentile type thing, um, uh, and that was a, a different circumstance, but nobody ever got healed. And so Aaron and his sons and the, those who would, would follow him throughout the generations they never ever i mean i can imagine them going to a bible study and 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 again this is metaphorically uh, the the bible teacher said well turn in your bibles to leviticus chapter 14 they never did that because what's this for nobody can be healed of leprosy and then of course jesus comes along mark chapter 1 i think it's also matthew chapter 8 you have to check me on that one and and suddenly there's a leper, Jesus touches him and heals him. And he says, now go to the priest and offer the sacrifices and show him your cleansing. And of course, when he would have got to the priest, they wouldn't have known what to do because that was a chapter nobody ever got to apply practically. So uh, sorry, I didn't make that more clear, Cindy, but that's um, that's the, the majesty of this. Leviticus 14, might as well, when we turn to that, it said, uh, God says, I've got a secret for you. i got a surprise coming up. Jesus is coming, and he's the one who's going to cure him. Wonderful thing. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 is the counterpart, uh, the equivalent story for that. So thank you, Cindy. Uh, Leviticus has not been nearly as torturous as I thought it was going to be. Let's go to line two and talk with Scott from San Antonio. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Hi, How Scott. Are you today? I'm good. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, got a question for you. Um, the, uh, the study I'm doing this, this Sunday is uh, Daniel chapter 10. And uh, um, our, our church requires us to use this study guide. In the study, and I, I listened to your teaching, I listened to a few others, but in the study guide, they keep referring to the angel that he's dealing with is, is Gabriel. And I don't know where they come up with that. And before I, you know, I, I just want to know if that's just that author's opinion, um, because he has, uh, I guess, an encounter with Gabriel elsewhere. Um, yeah. That's kind of what I was getting out of it, but um, and then I understood the, also the teaching about some people believe that uh, the the description of the the uh, the eyes and all of that 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 is Jesus, but yet that doesn't really fall into line because he was held up for 21 days on his on yeah. his on trip there. So anyway, you could touch at least on the Gabriel part. I'm 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 interested. If you know where that came from, or if you agree with that, yeah, I can, Scott. Can I ask there. you before you before you get off the line? Can I ask you who is the author of the study guide that you're using? It's it's Lifeway, and I don't remember who the author was off the top of my head. And I'm driving. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem, Scott. Thank you very very much. Um, a couple of things. We know it wasn't Jesus because Jesus could not possibly be held up for those 21 days. You know, I think sometimes we get the idea that, that Jesus and the devil are, are like spiritual counterparts, a good guy and the bad guy, not even close. Now, Michael and Satan or Lucifer are counterparts, equivalent strength, equivalent power. And every time you're messing with Israel, Michael is dispatched. He is Israel's prince or Israel's protector. And so whenever Satan is holding things up in the spiritual realm, and that's what chapter 10 says, you know, as soon as you prayed, the answer was sent to heaven, but the answer was delayed for those 21 days because of this war going on in heaven. And um, um, so, so Michael was dispatched. Now, the other angel, now, it, it's not heretical to say that it was Gabriel. I strongly disagree. 
And the reason I disagree is because when Gabriel appears on the scene, he identifies himself. He seems to be an archangel along uh, the lines of uh, Michael, certainly with different ministry. Uh, He is peculiarly uh, Jesus' herald. Remember, this is an angel, and this would be a powerful angel that was held up, but, but but I don't think Lucifer could have held Gabriel up either if that was the case. And so this is an angel that was sent, a powerful angel, certainly not Jesus, uh, not Michael. Michael opened the way for him to come. But but no, I don't believe it can be Gabriel at all. The reason that somebody would make that suggestion is simply that um, um, usually that he is the herald of Jesus. Um, but, but see, Jesus wasn't the one who was being introduced at, at that particular time. So this was um, God simply answering the prayer. For me personally, I think the value of, of Daniel chapter 10 is that it presents something before us that we often forget or neglect. We we get a glimpse into the spiritual warfare going on in the invisible realm. You know, we forget about it. We don't think about it that much. But there is always this battle going on in the spiritual realm behind the scenes. And that chapter gives us a wonderful picture of that. And and the, the 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 length to which God will go to in order to deliver an answer to prayer, Scott. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were having a prayer that was being held up, but I have, uh, and and uh, or the answer to a prayer, and I was acutely aware of the spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. So no, I don't think it's Gabriel at all. Um, Uh, so that that's that's my answer. My commentary for anybody that's interested on Daniel is available for free at calvarysa.com. Just hit the place that says notes uh, when you go to uh, uh, Daniel chapter ten. Um, one of my favorite books, by the way, to teach. It's just it, it it's a spectacular book to teach, and it has so many implications for those of us living some 2,000 years after the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rita says, Pastor Ron, I go to a church where the worship leader is living in open, defiant sin. I have a hard time worshiping because of it. What should I do? Rita, if, if you have already gone to the pastor, not the worship leader, I mean, you should go to him as well. Um, just say, you know, you're living this lifestyle. You're living in this sin and and people know about it. I think of First Corinthians chapter five, where there was open willful sin going on in the church, and Paul says, "Look, I've handed that one over to Satan already. You guys should have dealt with this." Um, so so assuming that you've you've talked to him, and the way I would do it is simple. I would say, you know what? It's clear that you are a gifted worship leader. The problem is the worship's gone because of the lifestyle that you're living. And since you're living that lifestyle, how can you sing those words? Now, uh, it is likely that he or she um, is, is gonna, you know, their hearts are hard. They're going to um, mock you or judge you for saying anything at all. Uh, but then you go to the pastor. So your worship leader is living in this sinful lifestyle. I talk to him or I talk to her and they just brush me off. And I want to know what you're going to do about it. And if he brushes it off, Rita, the thing to do is find a new church. If they don't deal with sin, to put somebody on that stage, singing those lyrics, um, talking about the holiness of God and the power of God and the love of God, when there's absolutely no fear of God in their lives, um, that's about as blasphemous as things can possibly be. And to be in a church where they don't care about personal holiness, especially with their public ministry leaders, then that's a sign that that church is in real, real trouble. And um, uh, no no wonder you have a hard time worshiping. I would as well. Um, personally, Rita, uh, my worship team, uh, teams, we have several of them, they know how important it is to me that they're able to sing those songs 
with a heart that's pure before the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean I expect them to be perfect. I don't. But I expect them, because of their ministry, because of the the gift that God has given them, I expect them to 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 make things right with God when they mess up, to admit it, confess it, and repent and change. And uh, I often make the point um, in talking to them individually, but 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 also in in our Bible studies here, the responsibility that somebody who is on the worship team has to be able to sing those songs with those lyrics and be able to say, Lord, my heart is right with you. I cannot overestimate the importance of that. And the difference in in worship, it's not worship if they're living in open defiant sin. It's, it's mockery. And you can sense that in the worship. But when their hearts are right with the Lord, believe me, worship happens. And so that's a church that I simply wouldn't want to be a part of. Do your part, read, and it's going to be difficult, but go to the worship leader yourself, and if you don't get a response uh, that is, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm going to repent, I'm going to step down. Now, I would require that worship leader to step down for a very, very long time. And by that I mean until I was confident that his walk with the Lord was righteous. But, um, you know, just having talent is not enough. And if the pastor of the church blows it off, then you know you're in a church where the Holy Spirit is not working. They may get excited and they may may um, um, do all kinds of goofy things and blame it on the Holy Spirit. But I can promise you the Holy Spirit is not in it. Here's a question from Esteban. He says, how do I refute the doctrine of soul sleep like Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, I don't think you have to refute it. You just say what the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, soul sleep is is a man-made-up doctrine. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, what, what I would say, Esteban, is, is, is well, where do you get the doctrine of soul sleep? Now, the answer for a Seventh-day Adventist is, well, that's what the church teaches. That's what we believe. But it's not consistent with the Bible. It doesn't matter what church tradition you're in, anything that they teach that doesn't line up with what the Bible says is wrong and needs to be um, um, rejected. So rather than you refute it, it's real simple. Tell people to read their Bibles. Paul says to the Corinthians, to be absent from the Lord is to be pre- or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. John says that we go into his presence and we don't know what we will be, but we know this, that our body will be like his glorious resurrected body. So, um, you know, the the shoe should be on the other foot. They should be able to say, um, this is a doctrine that proves soul sleep. And there is nothing in the Bible that even hints at it. Now, clearly, uh, the, the word sleep is used when Lazarus was dead, um, the, 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 Jesus said, Lazarus is sleeping. And they said, well, then if he's sleeping, Lord, he'll get better. Get well. We don't have to go there. They're looking for you around Bethany. Um, and, and Jesus, knowing they misunderstood, he said clearly, Lazarus is dead. So there's no doctrine of, of soul sleep. Um, you know, there are times when I get so wound up or get so tired, I feel like, boy, to sleep for a long time would be great, but not nearly as great as having the, our glorified, resurrected physical bodies. So, Esteban, don't let them put you on the defensive. Tell them, well, where do you get so sleep out of all this? And uh, it, it always boils down to just tradition. Once in a while, they'll pour out a an Old Testament a poetic book, Ecclesiastes or, or uh, Proverbs, um, and, and and it's just a lack of study, a failure to rightly divide the Word of God. Mickey says, Pastor, in the parable of the hidden treasure, who is the treasure? I've heard Jesus sold everything and that we should sell everything to buy Jesus. The treasure, hidden, the, the hidden treasure, it's the same as the, the, the pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13. They're together. Um, the treasure is us. Jesus is the merchant. Jesus is the one who found this treasure and hid it. And he's coming back for his treasure. That's you and me. 
So um, um, Jesus isn't the treasure. Now, we consider Jesus a treasure, certainly. And the same thing is true of the parable of good price. When he found one of great value, he sold everything he had and bought it. We can't sell anything. We don't have anything to bring to the Lord. So it's not to us to sell anything and, 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 and buy this pearl. Jesus, we're the pearl. We're the treasure in the field. We're the pearl. And, and no other reading of the parables makes any sense at all. So, Mickey, the, the teaching, and I've heard it just like you've heard it, that uh, Jesus is the treasure and so we have to sell everything or we've got to do. No, we don't. We don't. We, we have nothing to offer, nothing to sell. This is written from Jesus' perspective, and we are the pearl of great price. We are the treasure hidden in the field. And one day, as it relates to the parable of the hidden treasure, he's coming back for us. Mickey, let me give you a, a, a book. Uh, I think the um, the authoritative work on um, the parables of Jesus. All the parables in the Bible, actually, is the name of the book. Uh, it's by a guy named Herbert Lockyer, L-O-C-K-Y-E-A-R. And it is wonderful. And I don't think anybody should teach uh, the parables without having that as a resource. If you misunderstand the parables or if you try to read too much into the parables, you're going to get messed up and and sort of get lost in them. So um, Herbert Lockyer is uh, a great, great, great uh, commentary on the parables in the Bible. 340-9585 if you want to call before we uh, end this week. Here's an anonymous question. Um, if a church goes total woke social justice, is there any hope for that church? Anonymous, the best thing about Jesus is that there's always hope, but it requires repentance, and I'm talking about public repentance. So, um, you know, the, the, the church that is trying to solve all the problems in the world with activity, they don't understand our nature to sin, our our desire to sin. Um, they don't understand uh, their Bibles at all, and they're trying to. And, and I think sometimes with the right heart, but but well, let's just do something. It's not enough just to go to church. Well, we go to church to find out what our gifts are, and to be equipped to use those gifts, and to be able to equip, uh, be equipped to 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 rightly divide the Word of God. And then as our lives change, we go out and share the gospel and other people's lives change. The world, if you, if you read Second Timothy, Paul's last and most personal letter, he says things are going to get much worse than they are now. That might be hard for a lot of us to imagine right now. But he says things are going to be a lot worse. And we're watching that before our very eyes now in this world. And the, the church, it goes social justice orientation or goes woke. Um, well, we just want to love people. Those are churches that are completely uh, in rebellion against God. And the only hope for that church is public repentance. And if they won't do that, then, of course, there is no hope. And the people who stay in a church like that simply, by definition, cannot be true born-again believers. Now, there's always a remnant. God always has a few people in, in every place that bears his name. But but talking generally, those are, are people who aren't born-again believers. So um, what we do is we go find a church that is committed to the Word of God. Thank you, Nanas. This will probably be the last question of the week by Bevo. Bevo is a mascot. Bevo says, are Jews who are... And, and Bevo, don't take that person. I'm just kidding. Bevo says, are Jews who are religious and faithful to their religion going to heaven? The answer is the only people that are going to heaven, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter, uh, are those who are born again, Bevo. So... Uh, very clearly, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. So when you've got a Jew who is uh, devoted to uh, his or her faith, uh, they're working really hard to do all the right things, 
um, they're they're faultlessly religious. Well, that's exactly how Saul of Tarsus was described by Paul, the born again version of Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he described all those things, but he was lost. We also know, Bevo, that in Romans chapter nine, the apostle Paul begins that chapter talking to Israel, and he's saying, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he'd give his place in heaven if only his brothers, the Jews, would believe. And it broke his heart that Jews, who were the, the, the ones from whom our Lord came, and it broke his heart that they wouldn't believe. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to, to gather you like a mother chi- hen gathers her chicks, but you didn't recognize the time of my coming. And then he pronounced judgment on them. So um, the nation of Israel, God made promises to. Individual Jews, Bevo, have to believe in Jesus Christ, period. There's no heaven apart from them. Now, if Jews could be saved apart from Jesus Christ, what would you do with Judas? What do you do with Annas and Caiaphas? What do you do with Jesus telling Nicodemus you must be born again? In other words, you're Israel's teacher and you can't get to heaven this way? No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And we've got to believe that. We've got to understand that it is just that the Jews have a chance, but their faith, the law and the prophets, Jesus said, is a book, a story about him and should lead people to him. So Bevo, no heaven apart from being a born-again Christian, period. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week on the show. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, I won't be back on Monday. Pastor Ken will be doing the show next week while Paul and I are hanging out together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you when we get back. Bye-bye. for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.